0: listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at lebanonbaptist.org. So this morning, is anyone, I mean, here it is, 11 o'clock, anyone having today a really bad day? Anyone? I mean, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, it's a bad day today. I and mean, probably a lot of you, it's a good day since of what happened last night at about 11.45. Some of you are pretty happy about that. Hopefully you'll stay awake this morning. Maybe you, I don't see any bad days. Anyone having a bad hair day? Okay. Okay. Anyone having a bad hair day? Okay. Got a few. Yeah, Yeah. What about this? Did anyone have a bad day this past week? Like, uh, you look at this, the whole week, you, you had a couple, you had a couple of them right there. Bad day this week. Anyone, you'd say, Pastor Brian, I have had a rough year. It's been a rough year. Okay, there's some of you. Yeah. <laughs> I see the Welbruns over here and what they've gone through. Yeah. Probably all of us could say, in some ways, we've all had a kind of a rough year and a half since the end of February, 2020. You know, sometimes bad days or rough days can add up. A while back, I read the biography of Louis Zamperini. Of course, many of you know the book Unbroken. Here was a guy who was an Olympic runner who enlisted in World War II and one bad day led to another bad day, which led to another bad day. You read the story of his life. He's on an air mission, and his plane is shot down over the Pacific. He bails out, and he and just two others from his plane survived the crash, but are now stuck in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. One of them is wounded. The days continue to add up. One guy eats all the rations because he's hungry, and the boat. Like, how are we going to survive? Storms come. And as you read this biography, you're like, "Can can this continue? It's so bad. Just continues from bad to worse. Finally, they see a plane, and they use their mirrors, and they signal this plane to come get them. However, they signal a Japanese plane. And it comes and just starts shooting at them and their raft, and then they have to repair their raft. Then one guy, one of the three initial survivors dies, and they spend 46 days at sea, and they finally see land, and the land they see is occupied by the Japanese— and they get arrested, and they get thrown into a POW camp. And many of you know the story, it just goes from bad to worse. You know, life often treats us that way. It moves us from difficult to sometimes unbearable. What did this? Of course, the fall happened. God created Adam and Eve. He created the earth for His glory. And and man's flourishing, but man decided to rebel, and as a result, uh, we live in a broken world where hard things, difficult things add up. How are you and I supposed to respond when they keep adding up? What are you supposed to do? The Apostle Paul told other believers, not the Philippians particularly, but he told other believers, he said this, we must through many tribulations— Enter the kingdom of God. So as you and I look to the kingdom of God that's one day coming, he says, we are going to have to encounter many tribulations until that day. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to simply grin and bear it? How do you handle those times when the odds are all against you? When you're dealt an extremely difficult hand? There may be some of you right now Here on October the 24th, you are in the midst of an ordeal that is incredibly difficult. Maybe people know about it. Some people may not know about it. Maybe it's a physical ordeal, and you just don't know the end of it. You're like that woman who had a blood disease in the Bible, and for 18 years, it just got from bad to worse, and she spent all of her funds just trying to solve her physical trial. Maybe some of you are dealing with something like that, and you don't know where the end is, and you realize that if the Lord tarries, there may not be an end until you see Jesus. You may be in a relational difficulty with a spouse, or with a child, or with a parent, and one day has continued to add up, and now it has been, you could say, a trial that has lasted years. What are you supposed to do in situations like that? Well, you don't see anything good that could ever come from this. Well, one man who had in many ways the events of life stacked against him was the Apostle Paul, the writer of the letter that we have been studying, the book of Philippians. And in this letter, as you read it, you think he's going to say certain things, but here's a guy whose life is overflowing with thankfulness with joy, with encouragement to other people. You say, what's going on? What made the difference in this guy's life? I submit to you that he learned a very important lesson. And it's not a lesson you just learn and and you're done. It's something you're continuing to learn. He would later say in the book, I have learned that in whatsoever state I am to be content." I believe you learned a very important lesson, a lesson that I want you to learn today, and it's this. Since God can use difficult circumstances to advance the gospel, I can rejoice in the midst of it. Since God can use difficult circumstances in my life ultimately for good and to advance his gospel— that in the midst of whatever difficulties I may have, even today, I can be someone who can rejoice. Paul informs this church, the Philippians, of the situation that he's involved in at that time, and he does it simply to encourage them. And I hope that you'll be encouraged today. I hope his words will put some wind in your sails and cause you to have hope well up in that weary heart of yours. So let's look at what the Bible says. And first, I want you to look at the first verse of our text, verse 12. Listen to what he says. This is Philippians 1, if you're not there. It says, I want you to know. So he he wants them to know something. I want you to know, brothers. Of course, he's talking to believers, other believers in Christ. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, he wanted them to know what had happened to him. Now, what had happened to this guy? Now, they knew this. They knew that he was in prison. Why do we know that? Well, it's because, of course, they sent him somebody to help him as he's in the midst of prison. So they knew at least that he was in prison. But in order to understand all that's happened to him, I believe they knew a lot more. We're going to have to rewind Paul's life a little bit. Now, I submit to you that I believe at this very moment, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this, was in a prison. There's different speculation of what prison he's in. I personally believe that he was in a prison in the city of Rome. Now, what had led, him, led up to the writing of this particular letter? You're going to have to go back a number of years. It was at the end of his third missionary journey— that he's headed back to Jerusalem. So, hopefully, you guys kind of have some geography in your mind the Mediterranean world. You know, kind of where Rome is on the boot of Italy. You know, where Greece is. That's where Philippi is. And then Jerusalem's way over in Israel. Well, it was after kind of his third missionary journey, Paul wants to go back to Jerusalem in order to minister to the saints. And when he arrives there in Israel, he's already warned by a number of people, one of them being a prophet who says, he grabs him by the belt and says, you're going to get bound here. And a lot of people are warning him, don't go to Jerusalem because they're out to take you out. And of course, the Holy Spirit had told the Apostle Paul, he says, in every city you go into, bonds and afflictions await you. I mean, how would you like that? But what does he do? He's resolute. And he says, you know what? This is where God wants me to go. And so he goes to Jerusalem. And he goes to the place, of course, much of his upbringing, he goes to the temple to offer sacrifices. And what happens? While he's there, people recognize him from previous missionary journeys and him preaching Christ. And so they begin to beat him right there in the midst of the temple square. And they're about, they're trying to kill him. However, some officers there in the area recognize something going on and they they grab Paul and they pull him away. And of course, once they settle the crowd a little bit, Paul asks, hey, can I talk to these people for a moment? And what does he do? He declares Jesus. But what begins on that particular day is an imprisonment. In fact, he gets arrested and he starts in prison there in Jerusalem. There's a conspiracy against him. All these people, even 40 men, vow that they're not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. But of course, there was a bunch of people praying for Paul. He had asked the Romans to pray for them, for him when he was there, and God miraculously delivers him from this conspiracy and transports him from Jerusalem to the coast of Israel to a city called Caesarea, and for two years— Paul is in prison in Caesarea. You can read about this. If you want the documented facts of this, read Acts 21 through basically Acts 27, and you can read about those two years in the Apostle Paul's life. So two years of prison in Caesarea— and what happens is now he's threatened to be brought to trial again in Jerusalem. So what does he do? He appeals, because he's a Roman citizen, to Caesar. And so now he has the opportunity for a Mediterranean cruise, okay? All expenses paid by the Roman government. And many of you know the story. He, he takes this all-expense-paid cruise, and they get into a storm, and— from bad to worse then you hear about a shipwreck so not only is he on this cruise now his ship is destroyed he has to swim from the ship to an island and when he gets to the island what happens is he gets bit by a snake a viper I mean it's like what else could go wrong And then what happens is he finally gets to Rome, and the book of Acts ends saying that he gets to Rome, and for two years, he is incarcerated at his own expense. And so it's not just two years in Rome. Here is a trial that has lasted, really, probably over five years. Rough day, rough day, rough day, rough day. And to add to that, let me tell you what he tells the Corinthians. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, with far greater laborers, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings during this time, and often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one, so 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers... Dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there was the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches that I was ministering to. And not only that, in the book of Ephesians, which he writes around this time, he says that I am an ambassador in what? In chains. Okay, let's look at your bad day, and let's compare it to the Apostle Paul's bad day. And these people knew it. I want you to know, brothers, that the things which happened unto me, and fill in the five last five years, the things that happened unto me, that didn't surprise them what surprised them is what he says about them these events have done something listen to what he says in verse 12 I want you to know brothers that what has happened unto me has really served to advance the gospel they were all thinking okay all of that stuff you know what it's going to do it's going to hinder the gospel because no doubt there is an enemy who's out to hinder the spread of the gospel. No doubt he was the one behind the viper biting him and the storm that came out. The, the, the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so he's expect, they're expecting, hey, he's going to say all these things have kind of hindered the gospel, but he says, rather, they, has, they have advanced it. They have pushed it forward. In fact, what some commentators have said was there was a possible play on words when he said the word advance there. It's interesting. uh, There's a Greek word for, uh, you could say, uh, hinder, and there's a Greek word for advance, and they're only one letter different. One letter different. And so it was almost like they're all reading this and they're thinking he's going to say, the things that happened unto me have hindered the gospel. But it was almost like he uses a turn of phrase and says, no, it has advanced it. It has pushed it forward. You would think that these events would have thrown a monkey wrench into all that the apostle Paul was doing. But Paul says it had advanced it. In fact, what had it done? Well, it's interesting, we learned this, that God uses difficulties to advance the gospel to unbelievers. We see that play out. To the unsaved world. In fact, Paul explains how his particular imprisonment had advanced the gospel in a very strategic location. Look what it says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You say, who is this imperial guard? I personally believe that this, this is referencing an elite group of soldiers that were associated with Caesar— Almost like we have the secret service that is associated with our president. There was an imperial guard that was associated with the Caesar, the highest person in the known world at that day. Supposedly there was 9,000 strong at this particular time. And these people were incredibly influential. In fact, you read the history of Rome and some of the rising of the certain Caesars, the imperial guard played a very key role. You wanted to have, you could say, leverage with this particular group. And what was happening with Paul is he was being guarded by them because he had appealed to Caesar. In fact, what they, a lot of people believe is that he would have been chained to various ones of them probably every six hours— They chain a new one to him. Now, can you imagine Paul waiting for the next guard to ask that very important question? So, what you in for? What are you in here here for? And what would Paul say? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Six hours, what? Later, a new one comes. And probably the other one is he's walking away is smirking when as soon as he hears the new guard show up and say, hey, so what are you in here for? <laughs> he's about to hear it. So what do you learn? You learn that because of this trial, the whole imperial guard of the most powerful man in the world at that time was hearing what? They were hearing the message of Jesus. In fact, not only that, it says this, and all the rest. Who do I believe that's referring to? I believe it's referring to Caesar's household. The people who worked in the home of Caesar and all the people surrounding. You say, why do you say that, Pastor Brian? Take a moment and turn in, your, turn in Philippians to the last chapter, chapter 4. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, all the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's what? Household. So evidently, people who lived in Caesar's house had become what? Saints. They'd become believers. And he's telling the Philippians, look what's happening. God's advancing the gospel. What was Paul's message? They all learned that his imprisonment was for who? It was for Jesus Christ. Christ. It was for Jesus. And so no doubt, as he interacted with people, he told them the most important message, it's Jesus. As we will see Paul's whole life, he says, "If for me to live, it's Christ. He would tell the Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're a believer today and you know Christ is your Savior, you don't get to live anymore. You died with Christ. In the life that you now live, you ought to live to rebound, to tell tell this world of what he's done for you. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus and you told him how he could tra- just transform your life? And you may be here today and you may, be say, you may say, I don't believe this whole Christianity stuff. I don't believe this Apostle Paul stuff. But let me tell you, you do need to come to grips with this historical person called the Apostle Paul who worked so hard to stamp out Christianity whose life was utterly transformed that he would give his life in Roman prisons not for his own glory and and for his own advancement. He would give himself a total switch and he would live totally for Christ. Why do I submit to you that he did something like that? He had seen the risen Christ. Jesus did resurrect from the grave. And when he met Jesus Christ and he realized what Jesus Christ had done, here was a man who had searched the Old Testament scriptures. He knew all of those prophecies. He knew all of those uh, commands that were given about this great prophet who would one day come and when he realized who Jesus was and all that had had accomplished he realized that he was the nexus he was the one who brought it all together and he gave his life for him even to a Roman prison he gave himself for that so I stop here and I ask you this question have you ever considered that the difficulties that God has allowed in your life are to give you an audience for the gospel's sake. Whatever difficulties you have, that God possibly allowed those things to happen so that you could be someone who shares the gospel. It could be the very ones causing you pain, that they would come to Christ. You ever thought about the man Stephen, the first martyr in your Bible? One of the men who was part of causing the pain for for Stephen was the Apostle Paul. They all laid their coats at his feet. And what does Stephen do? He proclaims Jesus in the midst of his incredibly hard difficulty of his martyrdom. And what does God use? He uses that, I believe, to bring conviction on the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you, many a spouse was converted by the right responses of their spouse. Many a nurse and doctor have come to Jesus because they see God's people respond rightly to situations different than the world. You know what? When you get into a situation where you are having to deal with extreme difficulties like this, there really is two choices to to go in, two, two paths to take. When those difficulties mount up, you can, number one, you can respond in your flesh. You can get disillusioned with this world. You can get angry at God you can get bitter at people and all those around you, and then you can just give up and go into despair. You can look at the circumstances rather than looking at the God who stands above those circumstances and who ultimately can craft them all for good. And I'll tell you this, we as Christians, even believers, we can often go there for a time. We get disillusioned, we get angry, we get upset. And I'll tell you, if you're there right now, God knows your weakness. He does. Even the best of us get tripped up. You think of the prophet Elijah. And here was Elijah who had some incredible spiritual victory at Mount Carmel and brings down fire from heaven. But it was just a few little words of a woman who threatened him that caused him to go to great disillusionment and just despair of even life. And you may be here today and you are a child of God, but you have become disillusioned and you are responding in your flesh. Fear has taken over. Your mind is now playing so many tricks on you and you're just discouraged. And it's easy. I don't know about you, but... You just start adding up the things in life. and I mean, you wake up in the morning, you think about some of the bad things and they add up and they can bring you to despair like that. So you can respond in your flesh. And, and when you do, sometimes you hinder the gospel of Christ. I mean, you think of David. I mean, here was a man who had a heart after God's own heart. I mean, he loved God with all his heart, but he failed in his relationship with Bathsheba. And and literally, the Bible says this, because of what David had done, he had given the enemies of God cause to what? Blaspheme. Instead of rejoicing in God and what he's doing, people are blaspheming God. And if you're a believer today, you can respond in such a way that sometimes causes great disruption in the cause of Christ. Thankfully, Those of us who are truly his, the Bible tells us he will work all things for our what? For our good and for his glory. So if you're in here today and you said, Pastor Brian, I have messed up royally in the difficulties in life. Thankfully, you have the grand weaver of the gross, beautiful tapestry that can take even your bad choices and he can work them for good. That is the God you and I serve. No doubt, Paul, even in the midst of those five years, there were times of darkness. I mean, we just read about some of those successes, but let me tell you, no doubt there were some prison nights that he got discouraged. But in the midst of that, let me tell you, you have a God who's going to hold you fast. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you, shall he not freely give you all things? Who shall separate you from the love of God? And I love how it starts, shall tribulation? Of course not. And then he adds all these things that we like to fill in. I mean, you could just fill in all of these different things, and he says... Neither any created being, and the only thing that's not a created being is God. And and we know that he's for you. And if he's for you, who can be against you? So you can respond in the flesh. And many of you, if I had raise of hands, you'd say, I've done it. I'm doing it. I'm continually doing it. So you can respond in the flesh or you can respond in faith. What's that? Here's where we come to rest in a key doctrine that's taught really from Genesis to Revelation, and it's this, the sovereignty of God. That God is ultimately orchestrating all the events and working them all out perfectly to his desired end. As believers, of course, we can work at times against this plan, but ultimately God will use even our rebellion And he will work it out for his good. I mean, this played out, remember in Joseph's life? And this is the Joseph in Genesis, not the Joseph in Matthew. In Genesis, here was a bunch of his siblings who sold him into slavery and sinned against God, sinned against him, hurt him in numerous ways. And then he's in prison for a long extended period. But years later, as he is forgiving his brothers of their wrongful actions, what does he say? You meant evil against me. But God, he meant it for what? He meant it for good. To bring today, as it, I mean, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. God used that sinful choice ultimately to take Israel and preserve them during a famine in, this, in the area of Egypt. You and I only see one little segment, as I've told you before, of the canvas. But God is sovereign. And he's working them all out. One evidence of people who, who show faith in situations is this they begin to not only believe it internally, but they begin to speak it externally. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul did. He not only allowed his faith to be something that was real inside of him, he allowed his faith to be such that he vocalized it. And some of you, if you're a true believer in Jesus, you know what ought to happen? Out of the abundance of the heart, what will happen? The mouth will what? speak. And some of you may need to investigate, have I truly come to know the Savior who saved me, and can I allow, can God in his graciousness allow me to start to speak the truth? You say, how do I do this? How do I prepare myself for the difficulties that may come? Well, start doing it when there's no difficulties. That means this, you ought to start telling people about Jesus when everything is going good for you. I mean, I'm not going to take a raise of hands here. But how many of you told somebody about Jesus this past week? I mean, you told them about G. I I mean, the greatest person in all the world. I mean, some of you are like, oh, I'm trying to think through if I did this. Well, if you're going to be ready to do it in difficulties, you ought to be able to start doing it in Now. I know, I was, I was thinking about my own life, thinking, man, I can just get so busy with attending my son's games, which doing church, watching the Braves game, that you know what? I don't tell people about the main thing in life, and that's Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's why he's kept me here. And I need to do this when there's no difficulties, then I also need to do it with difficulties. And you know what? Oftentimes God uses difficulties to proclaim the gospel and allow you to do this. I think I told you a number of years ago about, I remember I was leading a trip to Mexico with a number of teenagers from my church in Charlotte. And we had just finished a whole week of, basically the men slept on the roof of this church woke up every morning to a rooster going off and we were we were dead tired we were all dirty because there wasn't good showers in mexico and and so we we finally get back to the states and we catch our flight to fly home and we're all looking forward to being in our own bed sleeping good and what happens as we're flying through houston there's a storm over houston and they divert our plane They land us in Corpus Christi, and we're like, why in the world? I just want to get home. Here's our whole youth group. We're all just, uh, we're wearing kind of clothes that we've worn for a while. We finally land in Houston to catch our flight to Charlotte, and what do we find? We find that it was canceled and that there's no way to get our luggage. However, they're going to put us up in hotel rooms, our whole, and we're just all ready to get home. We're like, why? Why? And I can still distinctly remember, I got to be the leader here. God's meaning everything for what? For good. I remember we sang a song in the shuttle that was taking us to the hotel. God makes no mistakes. And he doesn't. In fact, it was the next day... Normally when, the, when we flew as a group, they put us all in one big block so you all sat together on the plane. But because they had to change our plane, they, divide, they spread us out all through the plane. And on that last segment from Houston to Charlotte, God allowed two people to share the gospel and two people came to know Jesus on that last plane ride. And when we got home, you know what there was? There was great joy. Because God used difficulties And if you respond right to them, for ultimately the proclamation of the gospel. So God uses difficulties to advance the gospel in unbelievers, but He also uses difficulties to advance the gospel in believers. Did you know that the, the, the unsaved world is watching how you handle difficulties? But let me also tell you that the saved world, believers, are also watching how you respond to difficulties. And Paul's ministry was not simply to the unsaved world, it was to the believers who were his audience. Notice what it says in verse 14. He says this, and most of the brothers, so this means most of them, not all of them, but most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear so basically what was happening was this as many believers saw paul responding correctly to the difficulties of life it caused them to become much more confident in sharing the gospel themselves in fact the text says that they became confident in the lord that little phrase in the Lord is going to show up oftentimes in Philippians and the idea is not in themselves but God you can do this and it it increased their faith so what were they doing they began opening their mouths and a little literally it says this they began to share the word without what without fear now what was the word No doubt the Word was talking about the message of Jesus. That's what the Word is all about. Your Bible from cover to cover is the revelation of Jesus Christ and how He can answer man's greatest problem, the problem of sin, and transform them. And so they started sharing the Word, the message of Jesus, and not being fearful anymore. You would have thought that Paul's imprisonment would have caused them to all be fearful. Hey, if I start preaching Jesus, I'm going to end up just like what? Just like Paul. I'm going to end up in prison. However, the exact opposite happened. And we learn a very important truth, and it's this. Did you know that faith, your faith, can be contagious? When you start exercising faith, it can begin to spread to those around you. When one chooses to live by faith, it can spread. We talk about in the COVID world, super spreaders, and how COVID is so easy to spread from one person to another. Let me tell you something that's much better to pass around, and it's this. All of you, if you begin to show faith, it can be contagious to this congregation. When one person says, you know what, I'm going to live for the Lord and I'm going to tell people about Jesus in the midst of circumstances, you know, when people start to see that, you begin to encourage the other people on the other side of the room and say, you know what, I need to be doing this. That's what faith does. We need to live it out. October 16th, now eight days ago, was the anniversary of the martyrdom of a man by the name of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley who in 1555 in England were burned at the stake for their witness for Jesus Christ however they had faith they had belief to the point that Latimer as they were being burned at the stake he shouted to Ridley this he says be of good comfort Master Ridley And play the man. We shall this day light such a fire by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. You know what? What led to the great reformation? God used the faith of some people who were in incredibly difficult situations to spread the gospel. Their faith in death caused faith to grow in other believers. Now, did this go flawlessly during Paul's day? It says most of the brethren, right? It didn't go flawlessly. In fact, Paul now shares how some believers were not necessarily responding rightly to Paul's work of the gospel. Evidently, there were some believers who weren't on the same page as the apostle Paul. In fact, it says in verse 15, there were some indeed who preached Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. He says, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What's going on here? Now, this is kind of a confusing part of the the book of Philippians. What you realize that... Both of these people, the ones who were out of envy and the ones who were doing out of goodwill, both of them were preaching the right message about Jesus. Both of them, I believe, were believers in Christ, and the message of Jesus Christ was getting out, but there were some, evidently, who thought Paul maybe was doing this all wrongly. He shouldn't have pushed himself to get arrested. And they thought maybe he was hurting the message of Jesus Christ— And we learn, particularly from God through the inspiration of Scripture, that there were some who were serving God out of impure motives. They were envious, maybe, of Paul's following. And they were motivated, the text says, that there were still selfish ambitions. You know, you as a believer, even in the midst of you knowing Christ, did you know that sometimes you can even serve Christ and have the wrong types of motives going on? And you've got to evaluate those. Sometimes you've got to put them under the microscope in your own spiritual life. Why am I doing this? Am I just doing this to be seen of men? The Bible says, do not your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. What were the motives there? Am I just doing it to be seen? Whose glory do I ultimately want to be manifested? Is it my glory or is it the cause of Jesus Christ? And sometimes we as believers need to identify and ask certain questions about our own motives here. Here we realize uh, it's easy to allow the success of others to get us envious— And we, even in in 2021 in Atlanta, there's a number of gospel ministries around here. And it's easy for us to get envious of the growth of this one or the growth of that one and to develop turf wars and that ministries can begin to compete against one another. When ultimately it's all about who? The proclamation of Jesus Christ. And Paul realizes that difficulties can sometimes mess things up here and we must guard against this. We need to search our own hearts. Are we doing our work for ourselves or ultimately for the proclamation of God's name? Paul exposed this. He saw it and then he responds superbly. Look how he ends in verse 18. He says this, "What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I what I rejoice." You know what his whole goal was? I want Jesus Christ's name to be magnified in this community. And whether it's this person doing it or this person doing it, whether they have the wrong motives or not, my whole thing is for me to live as Christ. I don't want his name to be lifted up. So he tells them to rejoice. In fact, what's going to happen through the rest of this book is he's going to continually play that chord. Over and over and over again. In fact, so many people believe that the theme of this book is rejoice in the midst of suffering. And it's one of those key themes. In fact, he'll tell them later on, rejoice in the Lord what? Always. That means when there's difficulties, when there's not difficulties. My question to you this morning is this. Whatever situation you find yourself in life right now, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you responding in your flesh? Are you responding in faith and then opening in your mouth and sharing your faith? That's what Paul desired in Philippi. In fact, later in this chapter, chapter one, he'll say this. He'll say, I know, he says it kind of a different way, but he says, I know that you're involved in the same conflict that I'm involved in. And so as he writes this, he's writing this to encourage them, but also to exhort them so whatever trials that they're up against, that they would learn how to rejoice in the midst of them and proclaim Jesus. So what are you doing right now in the midst of your difficulties? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Not in your circumstances, because sometimes the circumstances aren't really good. But you can always rejoice in what? In the Lord. Do you see that all that God is doing in your life has already been filtered by God's divine hand and that he can work them all out for good? And he will. So share Jesus without fear. For those of you who know Jesus, he's using it all. I mean, going back to Lou Zamperini, All of these events happened even before an incredible event happened in his life. He came back after all of that confinement. He became an alcoholic, but God, he has timing all planned. And during a crusade with Billy Graham, he hears the message of Jesus. And later in life, what can he say? He can basically say this. I know that all of these events, God has used them all, even pre-conversion, He's using them all for good so that his name can be proclaimed. May God help you in whatever difficulties of life that he's laid in front of you. Whether it's just today's difficulties or whether it's been the last five years' difficulties. That in the midst of those that you will proclaim Jesus, you will rejoice in them, and that God's name would be glorified. Father... We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that when we came to know him, our whole life totally changed. And that everything is yes now for those in Christ. Lord, if if there are people right now who know you as their Savior and they're just struggling and they're responding in their flesh, may they repent come back to you and trust you. For those in this room, Father, who have never met Jesus and have never become a follower of the only person that can save them for all eternity, Father, may they have the boldness today to talk to somebody about Jesus and how they can commit their life to him. Or may they even call on him right now to be their Savior and then begin to unite with a community of believers to live out their faith. Father, whatever you're trying to do, Lord, I ask that you would grow this church to be able to display your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit lebanonbaptist.org.